The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. We come leaning on Jesus and believing that he has a message from us. And I'll tell you, it's kind of a funny story. So for those of you who are on the prayer call, I, I led the prayer call this morning. So last night I crawled in my husband's recliner and I said, okay, Jesus, I, I need you to give me what you want me to share for the prayer call. I was reading a, one of my grandfather's Bibles. So most of you know that I, I took care of my grandfather and worked as his assistant, Dennis Kinlaw, for, for a long time. And um, he lived with me for a while. So I have all his books and Bibles kind of floating around my house. Well, he always liked to have a different Bible because he wanted one with no markings so he could read it fresh every year. So he didn't he didn't want one where he just was remembering his favorite passages. He always wanted to have a fresh Bible. So he would get these little Bibles and this one has the cover torn off, but they were they were given to armed serv servicemen and they had a camo cover and they're this size. He could fit them in his pocket and it, he had a, so a chaplain in the army send him a new one every year. So we have several of these throughout our house. And so I was, I picked up one, I think, cause I, I left my Bible at work. And so I picked up one sitting in the recliner and I was talking to Jesus and okay, Jesus, what, what do you want to say to me tonight for the prayer call? And, um, I was, I was just, I, I, I was, my mind was really a blank and I looked in the back of his Bible. I just was kind of thumbing through and in the back of his prayer of his Bible, cause I'm going to plagiarize him tonight. I'm sorry to tell you. But um, in the back of his Bible was this page. But as I read it, basically it was, what is the mark of a spirit-filled life? And this is how he did his sermon notes. He would write sermon notes on any little piece of paper. And so I knew that this was his complete sermon note. And I thought, oh my goodness, um, I think that may be what Jesus wants to share to share with our women. This message is, is the way he put it together in the, on this little sheet is not exactly how I heard him give it, but it is how I heard him develop it in conversations. And then on this little page, I, I, in, in all of his writings, I haven't seen it put together like this. So I'm going to share with you um, a word from him tonight, and I've added in my own scriptures and my own development and my own illustration. So it's not a pure, the only thing I had was that one page from him. <laughs> so, but, but that is going to be the heart of what we're going to share tonight. And, um, and I've entitled it, Nothing Else Matters. I think as we begin to get to go on um, and we say, Jesus, what is the spirit filled life? Um, I think we're going to find that um, it is the most the most important thing in, um, that we're going to. The most important thing in our lives. So here's his little notes. So the first thing I want to say, the first thing it said at the top of his page is biblically, the people that count are people that are marked by the Holy Spirit. So you look at the scripture witness and the ones that make a difference, the ones that really are, um, the ones that really counted were the ones that were marked by the Holy Spirit. And these are some of them. In, in, these are some in, in the Old Testament where specifically it said these are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to look at this list because it's kind of interesting and it's kind of surprising because when the Holy Spirit came upon these people, then they, they, they were enabled. They were empowered to do something. The dunamis of God, the, as my mom talked about last week, the dynamite power of God was available to them 
for something specific. And I think I think sometimes we, we think of the power of God and the Holy Spirit as signs and wonders. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what he was talking about here. Um, it was the power of God um, for God to be present in the world in a certain way. So the first one is Bezalel. Do you know Bezalel in Exodus 31? He is the artisan. Who, who designed the interior of the temple, everything from the curtains to the pomegranates to the, to the bells on the, on the skirts of the high priest. He was an artisan. And it says the first, the first reference to the spirit of God outside Genesis 1, where the spirit of God brooded on the world, is in Exodus 31. And it talks about him in terms of creation, making God's sanctuary beautiful. I love that. We could we could talk all night about that when the spirit of God comes into our lives, the creativity and the beauty um, and, and the purpose that he gives. Then the next reference is in Exodus 35, and it's on the people of Israel. And Moses says, bring your jewels, bring your gold. We're going to give an offering to the Lord, and then it's going to be used for the sanctuary, and it's going to be used for some of the beautiful things in the sanctuary. And remember the story that they just started, it said that they were touched by the Spirit of God, and they just kept bringing and bringing and bringing and bringing and bringing, so much so that finally Moses said, okay, we have enough. No more. Don't bring any more. And um which, which I, I love that spirit of God that just says, wait a minute, I have more, I have something else I could do. I have, I have another thing. <laughs> um, and then Moses in numbers 11, if you look at numbers, the spirit of God is talked about in numbers over and over again. So that, that's an, it would be an interesting study in itself, but Moses, remember it said the spirit of God was in Moses. And then, um, that the, the, some of the other leaders were trying to be kind of protective. And he said, oh, that the spirit of God was on every, every person in Israel, right? That there was this desire that each, each person to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in Caleb, um, in Numbers 14, 24, he's given the courage to follow. Um, he follows, he follows, um, God into the promised land. Remember, he claims his inheritance. He, he follows, he goes into the, um, he goes into the promised land. He says, oh, no, we can take it. And he has courage. And then he follows God all through the wilderness. And then God says, OK, it's time to go in the promised land. And he's only one of two that follows God right into the promised land. He's not about to leave God. Um, Joshua wisdom says he had a spirit of wisdom as he led the people to claim their inheritance. Um, and then Caleb's younger brother, Othniel, he rules the people. And it says he rules the people well and um, full of the spirits. Gideon is given courage through the Holy Spirit. Daniel, the spirit of God is mentioned over and over. And in this reference in Daniel five, um, it's that it is from the queen or the queen mother who says there is a man on whom is the spirit of the Holy God. So this witness about the spirit of God in Daniel's life is given by a non-believer, but someone who recognizes the spirit in Daniel. And then in Zechariah, the spirit of God is given to Zechariah so that he can speak the word of God. So there's this move in the spirit, right? There's this move in the whole scripture, the whole Old Testament um, of, of the spirit of God preparing his people and getting them ready. And then, of course, we come to the New Testament. 
And we have, and ladies, I did this quickly this afternoon. So this is not a, none of this is comprehensive. This is just to kind of give you a taste and maybe, maybe invite you to do your own study on the spirit in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But Jesus is our first, well, John the Baptist, I didn't put him on there, but John the Baptist is the first person filled from in utero, right? From the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus in Luke 4, Luke 1 through 4, it says Jesus was filled by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, and led by the Spirit. So Luke starts his entire gospel by framing Jesus's life in terms of the Spirit. And then if you if you look in the last, um, um, in John 14 through 17, you have that same emphasis. At the end of John's gospel, you have that same emphasis that on his giving of the Spirit, um, um, to the disciples, right? So, the, so, so Luke begins and John ends with an emphasis on the spirit. Then in Acts two, we have the 120 in the upper room at Pentecost and, and the spirit falls on them. And then they are given wit ability to witness and they are given a victory. So all of a sudden you see these fearful, timid men, all of a sudden set free, um, and, and going, going out to try to share, about the resurrected Lord Jesus. So all of a sudden there's a transformation from the inside out. And then in Acts six, you have Stephen and he's anointed with wisdom for speaking, right? For saying, for giving his witness. Um, and he, he, what, he not only gives his witness, but he also, he, uh, he, he tells the whole Israelite story in terms of Jesus. Now, now remember, this is all happening really, really fast. It's not like they had time to really, really wrestle it through. It was like the, all, everything was unfolding so fast and, and anointing and wisdom was being given to them in the moment to give their witness. Sometimes we don't need as much preparation as we think, right? Sometimes the spirit says, I will help you just speak a word on my behalf. And then Philip, he's given power for witness and for obedience and the spirit, um, so it tells him where to go, tells him what to say. And then the gospel goes into Ethiopia, the first gospel to go into Africa because of the move of the spirit. Peter in Acts 10, right? He's having the vision and, and the, um, the, the unclean animals come down and, and the Lord says, these are clean. And he says, oh, no, no, no. And, and then, um, and then the Lord says, yes, what I have called clean, you must not call unclean. And the spirit in, in Peter begins to break the racial barriers between Jew and Gentile, which is really the greatest racial tension um, the world had ever seen. Um, if you were a Jew, you, you despised everyone else. And there was this sense that in Jesus, all of that broke down and the gospel was for the whole world. Um, then Paul and Silas are given direction and leading in Acts 16, where it says, no, don't go there. I want you to go here. The spirit led them and directed them. Paul in Acts 19 is given the spirit um, and there's healing of the sick. And they said, even he, he walked by people, right? The, the people were healed. There was a sense of the healing wholeness of Jesus being communicated. And then Paul in his witness before the high priest in Acts 23, and then in his witness before, um, before those um, Felix and Festus, right? There's a, there's a power to give a witness for Jesus in high places. And he ends his life in that, in that prison um, as, he, as he keeps giving his life, as he keeps giving. 
And one of the things that I think that Jesus is trying to tell us is there is all throughout scripture, everywhere, the people that counted for God are people that are full of the Holy Spirit, people that know the Holy Spirit. And he has anointed with his own presence um, for a particular reason in a particular um, in in a particular time. Right. So in Bezalel, way early in the story, and then all the way to Paul, um, after the Lord Jesus, at a particular moment in history, the Lord anointed with his Holy Spirit in order to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes I think we think the Holy Spirit is to get my heart clean, help me to live right, but and that's all. But I, I think it's more than that. I think it's more even than intimacy with the triune God. I think he, he, those things are true. He wants us to know an intimacy with him and he wants us to be clean. But he also wants us to step into this moment in history full of the Holy Spirit without fear, with a sense of, with a sense of, the, the God is big enough for this hour and whatever he asks of me um, through his Holy Spirit, he can accomplish in my life. Now, it might be that it ends in death like Stephen, or it might not be, but there's a sense that whatever time he's given, um, it's all, it is all for him. That is kind of the mark of the spiritual life. So then Papa went on to say, the mark of a person's life who is full of the spirit is they do not live for themselves. This is really interesting because there's an inside out turning, right? If you look at the gospel of Mark, you will find in the first eight chapters of the gospel of Mark, you'll find all these different um, miracles, all the amazing things. It's all about Jesus. The first eight chapters are all about Jesus. The last eight chapters are about the disciples and their failure to understand who he is, to believe who he is, to they're always thinking about themselves. All of that changes in Acts chapter two. All of a sudden there is a breaking out of that tyranny of, well, what's this gonna mean to me? And I'm afraid and I don't wanna get hurt. And am I better than she is? Or am I worse? Or who's gonna be the greatest? All of that disappears in the, in the book of Acts because the mark of a spirit in a person's life is that we have the mind of Christ and we have the heart of Jesus, right? So the spirit comes and gives us the heart of Jesus. And we no longer live for ourselves, for our own comfort or security or fulfillment. We're, live, we're living and looking for another. And this is interesting. Um, and, and Papa would talk about this a lot. Not one of the people um, in scripture who were placed in a leadership position filled with the Holy Spirit sought that position of leadership. It was not that they were always striving, wanting to get the best position, wanting that, wanting this. Okay, how, do, how can I get ahead? There was none of that. It was simply, I will do the job Jesus has given me to do with all my heart until he moves me to a different place. And if he places me in leadership, three cheers. If he pulls me back out of leadership, three cheers. There was not a seeking now, I don't think it means that there wasn't a hard work. There wasn't a desire to use their talents. I don't think it's any of that. I think there's just no jostling for position and trying to come out on top. And ladies, that is the, that is the mark of a spirit in a person's life, that there is a contentment and that there is a freedom and that there is a sense of, I receive what he's given me and I do my best at the work he's given me to do. 
Now I have to tell you this because this is kind of personal. These are my three boys. So my the, the old the, the the boy in the top is turned 19 today. His name is Isaiah. This is his first birthday. He's not been home. So we were all a little sad today. And uh, the, the one on the bottom is my older son. He's 22. We were trying to do a family FaceTime to wish to wish Isaiah happy birthday today. My, my husband was giving some advice. I said, Matt, what advice do you have for Isaiah turning 19? This is so interesting to me because it fit in so well with what Papa had written. And he said, Isaiah, you are going to have many opportunities. Don't use those opportunities for yourself. Make opportunities for other people. Let God open all the doors for you. And you be someone who opens doors for other people. And it was so funny because as my son leaned in, you can tell he's lean, he never kind of leans in to listen like he was today. He was missing his family as he leaned in to listen. And as my dad, as my, as my husband said, this is what it means um, to be a leader. It means that you are a person who's not seeking your own advantage, but you're seeking the well-being and the welfare of other people. And we had all a little Jesus moment uh, as, as Matt uh, prayed over Isaiah there. That is what I think it is. When we come into his presence, we come into his presence with this freedom to not have to be on top, but to be looking to who's in, who we can bring along, to be looking who we can make an opportunity. That is the mark of the spiritual life. The next thing that Papa said is the result of the anointing of the spirit is that we become a burden bearer for someone else. So the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. He anoints us. He fills us. And then we become, we become a burden bearer for someone else. Now, this doesn't mean we carry all the burdens in the world. It doesn't mean that we're just bogged down with people's burdens. It doesn't mean that. I have at times in my life thought it meant that. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that Jesus begins to lay some on your heart that you know, you know, are for you to carry. And maybe you don't tell anyone. Maybe you don't breathe a word. But you know, those are the ones that he's laid on your heart. And it may be that he lays a nation on your heart or a city on your heart or a group of people on your heart, but he also lays just individuals. And you know that part of your reason for existence is so that they might know Jesus. And so you come alongside them and it may be in a caregiving role. It may be in a teaching role. It may be in a serving role. It may be, and it will be in a praying role. But we enter that and become a burden bearer. Now, sometimes when we get to this point of the spirit of life, people begin to say, well, I don't really want to be a burden bearer. But ladies, here's what I think. Life is hard. And there's really no escaping the burdens that have to be borne. So why don't we let Jesus give us the burdens he wants us to bear and fill us with his Holy Spirit with the strength to bear those burdens? There is a freedom and a joy that comes in that. Otherwise, do you know what burdens we bear? The ones of our own making, the sorrow, the selfishness, the discouragement, the fear, the fear of life, the fear of death. We live with our own burdens, the burdens of our own making, and they chain us down. They drag us down. They cause us anxiety. They cause us to lose relationships. And Jesus says, lay all those burdens down and let me make you a burden bearer on behalf of someone else.
Let me make you a fisher of men. Let me make you one who gives me your burdens and then enters into the burdens of others. I love that. I think that's what he wants to do. In Papa's notes, this verse is, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let her come to me and drink. She who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of her heart will flow rivers of living water. I made it feminine for us tonight. There's this, I love this idea that when the spirit, when the spirit fills us, um, as we come to him and drink, we come to Jesus, right? And we drink, we say, Jesus, would you quench my thirst? Jesus, would you be enough for me? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? I believe in you. Then out of our hearts begin to flow rivers, rivers of living water. Ezekiel 47 says this, um, you know, this is the story. If you haven't read it recently, you need to reread it. So the spirit of God, God himself comes to his temple and a trickle of water begins, begins to flow from the temple, remember? And then it comes out the walls and it, as it goes, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And then pretty soon it's ankle deep. And then pretty soon it's knee deep. And then pretty soon it's, um, it's hip deep. And then, and then they had to swim. And then there's this beautiful, beautiful thing. When I arrived there at the river, I saw a great number of trees on each side. And he said to me, this water flows toward the Eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. And then when it empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Just like in our lives, when his Holy Spirit comes, all that is salty and dead becomes fresh. My boys went to the Dead Sea and they said it smelled bad, right? And there's just deadness everywhere, right? But not, not when the living water comes, all the dead places begin to live and swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. I think we should all write that on a note card and put it above our kitchen sink. <laughs> where the river flows, everything will live. The river of life. Fishermen will stand on the shore from Engadi to Engalam, and there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kind, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. And fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. That is what our lives are to be. From the sanctuary, the Holy Spirit indwelling us out of our lives, getting deeper and deeper the farther it goes, the, the farther the generations go. That just is the sweetest promise of all times. Their fruit, the fruit of a spirit-filled life will serve for food, for nourishment, and their leaves for healing. And that I think, this I think is the very best picture of what, what a spirit-filled life looks like. And when God begins to work in a culture, when he begins to bring revival among us, this is what it looks like. That all of a sudden there's life and there's flowers and there's fish and things that have de were dead are beginning to live. And the Holy, that is what the Holy Spirit does. And we're entering into the burden barren, but not just so we can be oh, carrying burdens, but so that out of that life, can come. And that is the promise Jesus gave in John 7. And that is the prophecy that he gave in Ezekiel 47. And then 
And then this is why, this is why when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we relate the mat this matter um, of a clean heart to the spirit of Jesus. When he comes and cleanses us, there's that sense like the river of life of a washing clean. Morning, I've been living in Ephesians 4 since last week when mom talked about the whole book of Ephesians, but there were like six verses in Ephesians 4 that Jesus said, these are for you. And they were, um, and they were um, let us be known for our humility of heart our gentleness, our patience, and our long suffering. And Jesus said, I, I'd like to do a little cleaning house in you on those things. And then the next three were at the end of the chapter and that they were, we would talk truth to one another because we're, we're made for one another. We're members of one another. We would speak the truth in love to one another. We would not go to bed angry. We would make sure that our hearts are clear before God of righteous anger or anger that comes from her every night before we go to sleep and that we would um, work so that we have something to share. That's the other one. Um, I love that. And Ephesians four, it talks about work with your hands so that you have something to share with other people. So I was thinking as I did my laundry, I'm like, I'm doing my laundry so that I have more energy, more space, more beauty to share with the people that come into my home. And I thought, okay, that's fun. If my projects are turned into um, a, a possibility of sharing with other people, that is the mark of the Holy Spirit on me. And Jesus began to say to my own heart, I want to do a little deeper thing. And then I'm sorry to tell you, the third thing he said to me was, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building one another up according to their need. That's what he kept saying to me, not according to your own good ideas, but according to what the other person needs. Be careful with your words, Cricket. He kept saying that to me, that they may build them up and that they may impart grace. And I thought, oh, Jesus, do my words impart grace? Is that possible? And then um, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And I think there's that sense of, can we live clean so that he is not grieved? And can we get rid of every root of bitterness from our past, from our pet present? Can you just, can you just wipe out Jesus for us, every root of bitterness in us? So the whole, when the Holy Spirit comes, that is what he wants to do. He wants us to open our lives to him and say, Jesus, here's our lives, all the hidden corners, all the rooms, go into every room and begin to put all the things in order. And ladies, to be honest, sometimes that process, it, it's soul searching and sometimes it's painful because it means sometimes he has to pry our fingers off things we're afraid to let go of. Sometimes it means he has to say, you know what, something over there stinks or you go to bed every night with bitterness, or you wake up every morning afraid, or you're living with anxiety, or you're mad at your coworker or a family member, or you don't really like your husband. The more we let his Holy Spirit speak to us, the more we realize how deep a cleansing we need. Um, and that's all part of that river of life beginning in us and then flowing out. But it's not just for a clean heart. A squeaky clean heart is just not so I can say, oh, my heart is squeaky clean. <laughs> That's not actually ever, ever a biblical, a biblical thing. But it is so that we can, through the Holy Spirit and through his power, we can step in and give a clean witness. And I love this. This was in Papa's notes. Pentecost, you go from closed doors to open doors. You go from a group of 120 who are too afraid to open the door. It is bolted. And then all of a sudden the spirit comes and they are walking out into the street. 
they're running out into the street and they are saying, oh, we got to tell you about Jesus. He's alive. We got to tell you about Jesus. And then they're going to, they're not just going into the streets. They're talking in ever, all the different languages. They're telling everybody that will listen. They're going to the temple, knowing that it was the, those in charge of the temple who killed Jesus. They're going into places of danger. The fear is gone. I had someone text me just today and she said, I am trying to live not in fear. No, I am trying to choose life and not fear. And these are the verses I'm claiming. That is what this is all about. Not fear, but we choose life and we choose to be full of his Holy Spirit and then open ourselves to all that he wants to do in our lives. And then he breaks and cleanses from the tyranny of self-interest. I'll tell you what happens if we hold on to self-interest and we love Jesus at the same time. The thing that happens is our witness becomes cloudy and muddled and people see in us, well, she talks about Jesus, but she really loves herself. She really protects herself. She's really trying to get ahead. And so his witness, his name is hurt. I think what that does has generational repercussions. If we're not willing to say, no, we want a clean heart and a clean witness, um, then we hurt in all of our witness. And we, have, we can see that in the American church over and over and over and over again of people in leadership who have not wanted a clean heart and have tried to give a witness for Jesus. And it doesn't last very long before the pain and pressure of life causes something to explode. And then the name of Jesus is hurt. So when we allow him to cleanse us from the tyranny of self-interest, it enables us to give a witness that's clean and clear. And then, and then Papa went in to say, but it's more than a cleansing. It's more even than an opening. It's a filling. A filling, and this is how his notes, his notes went. It's a filling with something positive. Agape love God himself. Papa spent a lot of time doing research on love. What does it mean to have the love of God in our hearts? What does it mean? And there, there are different types of love, um, but the agape love that is the only word for love in the New Testament and use nowhere else, right, in ancient literature. This agape love is a particular God word. It's kind of like hesed in the Old Testament, which means the unfailing covenant love of God, and it's only found in Hebrew. Agape love is a little bit like that. It's a God word, this love that is other-oriented, this love that is free to give itself away. And he spent a lot of time thinking and, and talking about the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that within the triune God, they lived in self-giving love to one another. So you don't find the Holy Spirit trying to put himself ahead of the father or the son. You find him enabling the witness of Jesus to go forward, right? And you have the father offering his son for the sake of the other people, and you have the son willing to give himself. So in all of them, there is this sense of self-giving love. And that is the nature of God himself. That is who our God is. That's what makes the Christian God different from any other God, that within his very nature, he is love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what comes to us is that same love. And the beautiful thing is, he says, I can put that love in you, because when I dwell in you, 
my love dwells in you. And remember in John, when, when, when he says, we will come and make our home with you. And that's the most beautiful, the father and Jesus through the Holy Spirit, come and make their home in us and fill us with his love. And that's what we see happening. This love is a gift. It's God himself. It's someone to have and to love and not just something to do. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not just about giving our witness. It's not just about ministry. It is about receiving the life of God and then listening for his voice. Um, listening for his voice. Jesus, so, you know, sometimes, and I think this is always surprising to us because we think, oh, he's training me and preparing me for something. Okay, so I need to get ready. And then um, he's going to have a space for me to really shine for him or everyone's going to see how much I love him or I'm going to be. Okay. And then often he pulls back and often he says, I want you to do the hard work of love behind the scenes. That is exactly what happened with Linda Boyette. And as she said, I am going to go to the hospital and just be with my son. Then there's this living witness, right? That sometimes love requires us to step up. And sometimes love requires us to step back. And it is the voice of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to do that. It gives us a flexibility. He gives us a flexibility of spirit that it's not, this is the way we have to do it. But we say, no, Jesus, um, in this situation, we're trusting that you're leading. And then in the next situation, it may be different. There's a flexibility that comes. And that's, I think, what makes us sweeter as we get older and when we walk with the spirit and he fills us with himself. Um, we don't become more and more rigid and narrow-minded. There, there is a graciousness that comes for those who have walked along with him and are full of his Holy Spirit. Um, that is a mark of the Holy Spirit. If we do not have the Spirit of Jesus, it's simply because we have not accepted the gift that Jesus offers. So in John 14 to 17, he talks about, it's a good thing that I'm going away because I'm going to send a helper and he's going to come and he's going to comfort you and he's going to teach you and he's going to help you remember all the things I've told you. He's going to bring to your mind. And isn't that just what Jesus does? Like last night, I said, Jesus, I don't know what to do. And he said, this is what I want you to do. And then he led me. This is my word I want you to give. And there's this sense of, okay, I, I will lead you and guide you, the, the living Holy Spirit who lives in us. There's a simplicity about it as we just open ourselves to him and say, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Here's my life. I surrender all areas of it. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Um, and then would you live in me and transform me so that um, the living Lord Jesus lives in and out of my life? And then my little note from Papa, this was the last, and this is where it gets hard. And this is where so many probably turn away. How will the spirit manifest himself in my life? And um, Papa's note said through 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The words weakness means strengthlessness. So it, it's, it's not 
moral failure. It's the sense of, I don't have the capability of doing that. It's the same thing that happens in second Corinthians four, where Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels where things leak out and there might be cracks and it might overflow. And it's not always neat and tidy. It's like water pots. And he's poured his glory into an earthen vessels so that his power might be seen in us. And the message of today is that we need to have it all together and we need to make something of ourselves and we need to not waste a moment and we need to have all our ducks in a row. And Jesus says, that is not how I work. I work best through your strengthlessness. I work best through your weakness. You say, well, I don't have the right history. I don't have the right personality. I don't have the right giftings. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough education. And Jesus says, oh, perfect. Because from your earthen vessel, my light and grace can pour out. And it is when we think we have all the answers and we think we have it all together that we get in his way and we heard his message. But when we come to him and like the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, there's the kingdom of heaven. We say, Jesus, we can't do any of this unless you come, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And part of, part of being filled with the Holy Spirit is not fighting against that reality, but, but giving him our whole selves, strengths and weaknesses and saying, Father, you can have it all. <laughs> and I'm not going to spend my whole life trying to make my weaknesses stronger. I'm simply going to bring it all to you and I'm going to allow your Holy Spirit to use it as a vehicle for your Holy Spirit. Think about that. I delight in weaknesses, in the things maybe that I just don't do well. Because then Jesus can be seen in me. In insults, when I'm not accepted or when there's rejection, I can delight in that through the Holy Spirit and say, well, Jesus, use it for your good. In hardships. Oh, we've met so many hardships already this January. Every woman that I know has encountered hardships. Okay, Jesus, here are the hardships. We invite you in. Use it for your glory. In persecutions, in difficulties, in illnesses, in diseases, even those things, Jesus says, I can turn them around if you give them to me and allow your life to be an earthen vessel through which my glory can be seen. I think, I think, um, the beautiful thing is that um, he doesn't expect perfection of performance from us. He simply wants to give us himself. And then I am finding that when I get into a situation, instead of trying to unravel it in my mind and figure out a plan to go forward, I just say, Jesus, I don't know what to do. I trust you. Jesus, what do we do now? I don't know. Lead us and guide us. And then coming to him with a humility of heart that just says, okay, we don't know. And I think I'm finding more and more, more of those areas in my life than probably ever before. And Jesus says, okay, I've got you right where I want you so that the power of my life can be seen through your weakness. I want to tell you, I want to end with this little story. I, uh, I don't know if you know Patricia St. John, but she is a writer of children's fiction. She was a missionary to the Muslim world. And I love Patricia St. John. There was a joyful kind of exuberance about her life. And she was from a big family and they loved Jesus. And she wanted to go overseas. And she was always having to come back 
to her home to take care of somebody who was dying. So her aunt or her mother or an, an elder sibling, she was always having to care give. And then she would go back to the mission field and help whoever she could, but she was a writer. So in between, she was always writing, writing, writing. And she, she loved to write children's stories to try to communicate the gospel to children in through a story. And so she, we have some in our office and, um, but this one, I was downstairs in the FAS library and I came across this one, I'd never seen it before. And I picked it up and I thought, well, I'm just going to read it. And so all Sunday afternoon, I spent um, reading this book and uh, I found myself mesmerized. It takes place in the Lebanon uh, civil war that happened in Lebanon, I think in the early 1900s. I'm not, mm, I'm not exactly sure when it was, but um and it was, it was a battle between the Christians and between the Muslims. And it was a religious battle and all the killing was done in the name of God and in the name of Allah, right? So um, she doesn't glamorize the fact that the, the Christians who were fighting um, were doing evil deeds as well. So there was a little family, Catholic in name, but really with no personal understanding of who Jesus was. And the mother was from a little country village and she had gone to mass and she had seen the crucifix and she had very little understanding of the gospel. And so as her daughter got older, she said, mom, I don't believe this God stuff when everybody's fighting and everybody's fighting about God. There can't really be a God. And her little country mother who had married a city man and it had been an arranged marriage. And she said, well, honey, I don't understand very much because I'm a country woman. I'm not educated, but I do know this. It has to do with love. There's a God who loves us. And he loves us so much that he's forgiven us. I think it has to do with love and forgiveness. And in the course of the story, the woman's son is killed and the daughter gets angrier and angrier with God and finally says, I don't believe. And then the whole family has to flee their, their home and go to the, to the village of the mother um, to try to get away from all the fighting. And so they, they, they leave and they're on the way and there's fighting all around them. And um, there's a young group of soldiers um, and they are young they've never really been in war before and they come up they come upon this family and they are they are muslim and they kill the mama well they actually aim at the children and the mama throws herself in front of her children and as she lays there dying her husband who was just a businessman and really wasn't a believer just wept over her and says, I love you. I love you. And she says, he had never said, the daughter says he had never said those words before. And the little country mama laid there and she said, I know, I know nothing else matters. And then she, and then she dies. The rest of the story is about the love of that mama in giving her life for her children and that nothing else matters. And as the daughter had to process her mama's giving her life for them, um, she kept coming back to she kept coming back to those words. Nothing else matters. It's all about love, and it's all about forgiveness. And as I read the story, eventually, it is the mama's love, the mama's sacrifice, the mama living out what she understood um, that eventually brings the salvation of her children and her husband, making her home a safe place. And then the daughter gets married and then the blessing of God continues into the next generation. And as, as I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about that mark of the spirit of God in 
in a woman's life that says, no, I will give my life so that someone else can live. No, I will keep believing even when I don't understand what's happening around me. I will keep believing that the love of God is big enough, is deeper than any, than any hurt, than any sin. I'm going to believe that the love of God is the deepest thing and that forgiveness is possible for me and then for other people. And then it's out of that, out of that, that we find um, the freedom and out of that, that then Jesus's word and life goes out. The river of life goes out. As I thought about this tonight and as, as, I, as we come to a close, I just wanted to take a moment and pray. Um, I think the Holy Spirit is wanting to move among us, to move among our churches. I think the Holy Spirit is mo wanting to move in our own hearts. And I think we're living in days where it's more important than it's ever been. And maybe nothing else matters, but that we open up our lives to his Holy Spirit and allow him to shine his love into us in every corner <laughs> and then begin to shine out of us, to flow out of us um, so that life can, can, can go forth to other people.